Hello everyone, I'm Ian McAllister. I'm Oliver Kinner. And I'm Jamie Adams, and this is Brainwaves episode 122, bringing you the best in tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of the 29th of May, 2023. Trespass not into the realm of ducks. Spiel des Jahres nominations. And Elizabeth Hargreaves draws attention to the gender gap in game design. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. On the 20th of May, YouTube channel Quackalope put out a video. That video was called The Horrible Truth of Aeon Trespass Odyssey. Aeon Trespass Odyssey, or ATO as we'll refer to it in some of this article, is published by Into the Unknown Games, and they responded like this to the negative comments on the video. Posting to their Kickstarter, they said, Not if, for example, a YouTuber contacts you months in advance to say they've shot the content, don't like the game, but they can reshoot it for $7,500. We would not respond well to such a proposition. Winky face. In fact, we would never work with someone like that again. The implication here being that Quackalope would effectively make their bad review go away for money from the publisher. The internet responded in the calm and measured manner it always does. Everything went to hell in a handcart. <laughs> the Reddit user who brought this to everyone's attention called it blackmail. People started throwing accusations at Quackalope and everyone called for more evidence from Into the Unknown to turn their insinuation into fact. Initially, Quackalope said that Jesse Anderson, the face of the Quackalope brand, would not be immediately responding as he was attending a yeshiva in Israel and had limited access to the internet. A yeshiva is a Jewish college or school where you can go to study the texts of the religion. Jesse did put out a denial in a thread on BoardGameGeek. In that post, he said, ELDR, we did not and have never asked a publisher to pay us in order to prevent the channel posting critical or negative content. I will do a live stream the week of June 12th, once I am back in Cleveland, hanging out and answering any questions the community has. On the 21st of May, Into the Unknown released an official statement on the controversy as a shareable PDF. They start this statement by saying, First off, we'd like to say that everyone is entitled to their subjective opinion about a game, especially when it comes to consumer products. We do not censor content, and we do not argue with critics and reviews. We try to learn something from them, good or bad. We have no problem with Mr. Anderson's opinion about Aeon Trespass Odyssey. Second, we also have no problem with the idea of sponsored ad content. We use Facebook, Meta, and Reddit ad tools regularly. We also collaborate with content creators on things like rules videos, summaries, or playthroughs. Now, the rest of this statement is rather long and includes several emails back and forth between Marcin Welnicki, the CEO of Into the Unknown Studio, and one of the other members of the studio called Bartek, who's their production manager, and Jesse Anderson, who runs Quackalope. We'll give you an overview of that conversation along with some highlighted quotes. These quotes were highlighted by Into the Unknown in their statement and the PDF that they shared. The emails start on January the 19th, 2023. In that email, Jesse says they have a copy of the game that they bought and proposes working together on upcoming coverage. Jesse says towards the end of the email, We normally charge $2,500 per video. My proposal is a five-video sponsorship at $1,500 each, totaling $7,500 for a full run of media and marketing push. These videos can be gameplays, tips and tricks, strategy guides, previews, 4pm push, and more. Marcin sends his first email back on the 3rd of February. In that email, he says they were very happy with the unboxing video that Quackalope did, but that... $1,500 is still a bit steep compared to the market average, but nothing we couldn't work with. At the end of the day, it all depends on what the video is, how it's put together, and what return and viewership is. 
we could do a pilot and go from there. It goes on to ask some details about what sort of content Quackaloop would produce, the turnaround time, etc. The next email we don't have a date for is from Quackaloop in reply to the previous message. It opens by agreeing to talk details and suggesting they meet up over Zoom, and then goes on to say the following. Long story short, we would love to work with you. However, we did invite a Patreon member of ours down the studio for an entire week to film and play as much ATO as possible. We've put about 50 hours into learning, tabling and recording content at the moment. However, our experience as a group was quite frustrating overall. We struggle with the rules, finding cards throughout the decks and tracking all the moving parts of ATO. They go on to say they desperately want to play more of the campaign and that it would benefit them from working with a publisher. The email continues. If we are able to move forward, we would need one of two things. Either a designer or developer who is willing and able to oversee the gameplay videos, we have a private live stream system, that would allow us to get everything as accurate as possible. Or, we would love to extend an invite for you to come and film in Cleveland, Ohio for a week. And it's the next bit of this email that has raised all the eyebrows. If we are working in collaboration with you, we would scrap the footage we have already recorded, since we want to be as accurate as possible. If we decide to work independently, we will likely not invest more time beyond the 50 hours of content and 8 videos we have recorded. There are two or three more emails with Into the Unknown explaining they can't dedicate the employees to helping Quackalope out, but I'd be happy to respond to any game questions via email. There's a bit of a pause in communication until the 31st of March, when Bartek emails Jesse explaining that the flu had hit the studio and that Into the Unknown would be interested in at least one video. Quackaloop responds by saying that they are sorry to hear about the illness, but the radio silence, those are my words, uh, meant that they had proceeded with putting out the videos they had. Jesse ends that email by hoping that they can work together in the future, and Bartek responds in the affirmative. Over the next few days, there was some discussion on Twitter of the situation, and the usual paid review versus advert debates came up. Um, I'll link to our thoughts on that in the show notes. On the 23rd of May, Jesse posted a video from the yeshiva he was studying at in Israel. Now, we're not going to give you a blow-by-blow account of everything he says in that video. It's half an hour long. It's entitled Our Statement and gives Jesse's perspective on what happened and what the future for the channel holds. There are two points of note, we think. One is that he says Quackalope will no longer approach publishers about review copies and collaboration. They will let publishers come to them instead. The other is that it takes him 25 minutes to actually say sorry, but we'll get to that in a moment. Last time we checked, Quackalope had lost close to 4,000 subscribers over the last week or so. There has been no further update from the channel at the time of recording, but Jesse did say in the statement that he'd be doing a Q&A when he got back from Israel and after his wedding, which is in a couple of weeks' time. Board Game Co. that used to work with Jesse also put out a video not commenting on that situation directly, but laying out how they work with publishers and what they do to be clear about that. So... This has been obviously all the talk of board game Twitter for about the last week or so. Uh, I've watched the statement, the original Horrible Truth video about Aeon Trespass Eldacy. I've read all the correspondence. Had We've had long conversations in our Discord of various members about what this means. And we've had to think about it for a good long while. Personal thoughts? The email from Jesse when he says that they will get rid of footage if they are paid and the publisher works with them. It sounds like extortion. Maybe they didn't mean it like that, but that is how it comes across, and that's what it sounds like. The statement he put out wasn't... It's not Wormwood levels of cringe, but it wasn't great. And there are a few things I'd like to pull out of that video. We've mentioned already the first apology is at 25 minutes. It takes him 25 minutes to say sorry in any way or form. 
At one point, he calls the Patreon member that he brought in to do the ATO video an independent friend of the channel. No, they're not. They give you money on a regular basis. They are a donor at best, if you want to call them that. But they have bias because of that. Yeah. They are not an independent friend of the channel. They're just not. Uh, there's a huge amount of deflection from Jesse to the publisher and some amount of using his religion and where he is and his upcoming wedding to garner sympathy. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry that this is happening to him at an important time in his life, but none of that has anything to do with the situation. And he starts the video by going on about his wedding quite a lot. And part of me was thinking that this doesn't matter. You need to get to the point. Yeah. At one point, he mentions that they had a limited time frame. Now, it was his own copy. They bought it. I don't know if it was Jesse's own personal copy, but the channel bought a copy of Aeon's Trespass Odyssey. The publisher hadn't contacted them. He says they didn't know when the second edition campaign was going live and that the, their videos have gone out coincidentally as the second edition campaign has gone live. So why does he mention there's a limited time frame? I don't fully understand that. There was no time frame. They could have just done it whenever they wanted to. It wasn't like the publisher wasn't paying them to do anything at this point. And hasn't. Early on, he mentions language barriers maybe being an issue. Now, the publisher is Polish, into the unknown as a Polish publisher, but I've had no issue with any of the language in the emails. They seem pretty good to me. And in fact, if anything, the ones from Quackalope had worse English than the ones from Into the Unknown. So I don't see that being an issue. The one thing that I don't really understand, like there are some folk defending them, some fans defending them, I don't understand why they are not absolutely furious. Jesse has basically admitted the game was rubbish. I've watched the whole of the Horrible Truth video and they are eviscerating, like absolutely eviscerating about how bad like finding cards is, like the real book is, like learning the game is. It's just a terrible experience. He basically wanted to get paid to put out a positive spin on the game. And that means that he would be selling to his audience a game that he personally believes to be terrible. How are you not furious about that? Yeah. Like, absolutely livid. I don't understand. What, what, what do you think, Oliver? Well, I mean, they have lost, what did you say, 4,000 subscribers to this. Last time I checked, yeah. Some, some response there. Um, yeah. And, you know, I agree with you that that apology video, you know, let alone that the apology didn't happen until... But two thirds through, whatever. I don't know what yeah, the video was. Uh, the, the video's oh, even longer. Long, so it's yeah, like so, five minutes yeah. from the end. It starts. Yeah. yeah. You, you say you say apology straight straight away, pretty much. Um, and he, I think it's very unprofessional that you bring all your personal stuff into this. You know, we all yeah. agree it's it's terrible timing, and and I wouldn't be want to be in that situation. But that's you know nobody's business, really. Um, no. This is about the professional, or not professional relationship, but hopefully a professional relationship that Quackerack was hoping for. But to me, it always comes back to that sentence. I think that that everyone's sort of picking up on is is this: if we decide to work independently, we will likely not invest more time beyond the fifty hours of content, eight videos we have recorded. So, you know, if, if I was receiving an email like that, it's like, well, what what does do you mean by that? So clearly, you're yeah. saying. You are going to just go ahead and, and and you know do it unless I pay. It's, it's, it's you know these two sentences come one after the other about you know pay me yeah. my money and we'll we'll remove the videos, or if not we'll carry on and you know yeah anyway. So even if that wasn't intentional, I think most people would interpret it as a you know either pay me and if not then we'll do what we want. But also 
leaves me with the question of why have you spent 50 hours and recorded eight videos and struggled probably for most of that time to understand how the game works and struggled with rule books and everything else? Why did you notice a stop and go, hang on, we're, we're investing way too much time in this. Um, let's stop here and ask the publisher and find out what's going on. Maybe ask them for some specific clarification if you have some specific questions or whatever it may be. And then, sure, I mean, I get that. You know, sometimes, you know, I, I try and get a review out every week. And if I'd said, okay, next week I want to publish this review and the publisher hasn't gotten back to me about it, maybe I'll still go ahead with this review and say, look, really had trouble with the rule book couldn't find cards, whatever it may be. And then if the publisher comes back to me later, maybe I'll put out a correction, say, yeah, or clarify it, you know, I'll maybe yeah. even release a new review and, you know, fine. But I wouldn't go to a publisher and say, sorry, I don't understand your game. Can you give me some money so that we can clarify it? And then I'll <laughs> yeah. write a new review. Is it- well, I would. Well, maybe you would. Well, but- you're, you're, you're unscrupulous though, aren't you, Jamie? <laughs> I'm completely unscrupulous. But, you know, when when you do reviews, you don't ask a publisher to fix your review and, 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 well, sorry, don't ask a publisher to pay for fixing your review. So I really don't see any situation where this approach is justifiable in any way, unless I'm missing something. It's, it's just if, if you did want, you know, to work with someone professionally and you have spent, spent lots of time on it, wasted time, even then you don't mention that. You just go, look, could we work on some videos together. Here's our price list. What do you think? You don't go, oh, by the way, I have some video already and I've wasted some time and I'm not basically in brackets. I want to recoup my time somehow by you paying me money. It's just, as I say, it just beggars belief. Yeah, and let's not forget that it was their own copy. Yeah, they didn't even actually need to produce anything. No. They chose. I mean, I, I sort of get that bit and I think others have said it on social media as well that, you know, as, as a content creator and hate that term, um, you, you might feel that you have to keep putting stuff out there. And, and I get that. I say, I've, I put the sort of pressure on myself by releasing something every week. But then, as I say, just go ahead and publish it. And then, you know, yeah. if, if the publisher hasn't responded, well, so be it. You know, you've tried, you've done your best. This is your view. The view still stands, surely. You know, that was the exp- in, oh, experience with the game up to that point. Um, so, yeah, I don't, as I say, I just, I just don't get it. What, what any, any of yeah. what's being said makes any sense to me. It doesn't look good anyway, however you try to interpret it. It just doesn't look good for Crackle at all. And just a little update on how many subscribers they've lost. It's at 4,200 in the last 30 days. Wow. Hmm. Uh, according to Social Blade. I'm a bit quiet on this because I've been away for a wee bit. You know, it's my first time back since, ooh, for a wee while, month or two. But uh, yeah, I've, I've kind of sort of been following this story because I've kind of been really busy and being away. And... I mean, I don't really know what else to add. This just doesn't look good. Yeah, it's it's pretty terrible. Like really yeah. bad. So let's move on. Indeed. Oh, actually, before we move on, if there's any updates, of course we will let you know, listeners, because that's Absolutely. our job. That's what we do. Well, onto some hopefully. Unless someone pays us money to not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can. We can. Uh, no, no, let's not go there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> On to some more positive news from, uh, I'm going to go into German mode now, uh, from Spiel des Jahres. Uh, on Monday, the 22nd of May, Spiel des Jahres, the German association that tries to bring more people into the hobby, announced the nominations for its 2023 awards of Spiel des Jahres, Kinderspiel des Jahres and Kennerspiel des Jahres. So the first Spiel des Jahres, um, which is the award for the best board game of the year, and I, 
probably have to clarify that a bit. But that was given out in 1979, so quite a while ago. In 2001, they then added the Kinderspiel, which is technically children's games, but I think we'd probably call them family games. And then in 2011, they awarded the Kennerspiel, which I suppose translates as expert game. Again, sort of hard to sort of define it. Um, the reason why I don't want to call it the best board game of the year award because is that um, the award, as I say, tries to get more people into the hobby. And they are covering games that were released in Germany in the preceding 12 months. And as I say, they're trying to make the modern hobby games just as popular as the classic that everyone knows. So, you know, people might know Monopoly, but hopefully with Spiel of the Alice, games like Catan or some of these nominations will become as popular as well. So they're not necessarily the best game ever that, you know, people who maybe have been in the hobby for a long time need to add to the collection. But it's more interesting for people who aren't in the hobby that these are games worth buying and they're probably quite you know easy to learn, quick to play and, you know, aimed at different levels. But anyway, let's stop talking. Let's get to the nominations. So for 2023, Spiel des Jahres, 2023, yeah. So for 2023, the Spiel des Jahres nominations are Dorfromantik, Fun Facts, and Next Station London. For the Kinderspiel des Jahres, we've got Carla Caramel, Gigamon, and Mysterium Kids. And then the Kennerspiel des Jahres is Challenges, Icky, and Planet Unknown. The association also announced a, a special Spiel des Jahres 2023 award for Unlock Games Adventures and Unlock Kids Detektivgeschichten. The winners for the three awards will be announced on Sunday the 16th of July in Berlin and I hope to be there for the, well, on behalf of the Brainwaves team, I suppose, be there for the awards ceremony in person. So watch this space. But, but also meantime, Tabletop Games blog, surely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We're all there in spirit in, in, in various ways. So yeah, but for now, congratulations to the nominees and then the winners of the special award. Yes. So, do we know? Do we know why? Sorry, Oliver. Um, do we know why that they are being given a special award? Um, these special awards come out ever so often. I, I don't. I didn't see any sort of justification for that. I don't think any of the nominations are basically described why why they've been chosen specifically. Okay. I think the award ceremony itself might then go into more detail of why the finalists were, you know, or the awards were given out to those games. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, the special award is actually quite special because it isn't a general thing that happens every year. Sometimes they just pick out some games that probably didn't make it any further, but they still wanted to, you know, nominate, sorry, list them as as uh, important and, and give them an award. So okay. yeah, what what do we all think about the Spiel des Jahres? Do we I think mean, need something like that in the UK? Yes. I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yes. Um, I'm gonna the I'm gonna keep the tradition going of saying I have not played any of the nominees. Um, congratulations I to have the nominees. Next station, London, but that's it. How was it, Ian? It's good. Yeah, it's on uh, Board Game Arena. Uh, it's very simple to play. It's very engaging. It's a little good. like it's a little roll and write kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I believe I believe the Kinderspiel is announced earlier than the other two is that still happening this year i thought they're all announced on that sunday but i previous year yeah previous years it ha like last year it was i don't know if that's going to be the same this I, th year. I think for a wee while the kinderspiel has been announced because the kinderspiel okay. nominations would i think previously have been announced earlier than the others and the yeah. award summary for kinderspiel has been earlier than the other but if that's changed not complaining but yeah, I'd love to see something like this in the UK for UK game scene. I am looking at you, Games Expo, get a sword. 
Yes. We are we are a news, not opinion channel. <laughs> if you want that, listen to Opinion Waves, my new spin-off podcast starting where you hear me ranting and raving for almost an hour, non-stop, uncut. But just just as a last comment, I think, as I say, a lot of people look at Spiel des and they go, this is the best game because people think of the Golden Geeks or other similar awards where it is about the best game nominated by people who work in the hobby industry or have some other interest and, you know, are experts in quotes in that industry. Spiel doesn't try to do that. It's about bringing more people into the hobby. So these games are always more accessible, accessible even though the, when I say accessible, in the sense of um, for people who haven't, you know, aren't familiar with lots of modern hobby games. Yeah, so even the approachable. expert game isn't, yeah, more approachable. That's probably a better term. So even though these expert games aren't the sort of games you necessarily need in your collection if you have lots of other games and you, you're very familiar with the hobby. Um, but for someone who is quite new, these will probably be quite challenging games. And yeah, it's it's that aim of it. And I think that's really quite nice to see that we have, have a, a company, well, an association here trying to promote the hobby to a wider audience. And I think we need that more in the UK as well. Yeah, and we're hoping to have a little chat with one of the folks from the Spiel des Jahres committee at some point in the not-too-distant future. So we'll let you know when, that's ha- when that is happening. Before we move on, I really hope that the trend in the industry of having absolutely awful rule books is, I was about to say, coming to an end, or we are past it. Because several years ago, the Spiel des Jahres put out a, they put out a press release saying so many games were considered, but they were immediately discounted because our... The rule books were just awful, and we are not. We're not proofreaders. Yeah. We're gamers. Yeah. I hope. I hope. The, I hope it's improved. Hmm. Maybe. I hope. But anyway, Jamie, we are not done with Spiel des Jahres things. As no. Yet. The day after the Spiel des Jahres nominations were announced, am I pronouncing it okay, Oliver? That's perfect. Yeah. Thank you. The day after the nominations, Elizabeth Hargraves, designer of the cultural juggernaut that is Wingspan and Mariposas, a beautiful game about butterflies, posted a thread to Twitter. It started like this. I would like to offer some data, not as a criticism of the SDJ org, but as a criticism of the pipeline. Something is wrong with the system that leads to these pictures. One, nominees for the SDJ since 1999, and obviously SDJ is Spiel Five women, 103 men, and no other gender ID as far as I know. No women in the last two years. With an accompanying bar chart showing the number of female designers nominated between 2011 and 2023 compared to the number of men. She goes on to look at the Kennerspiel and the Kinderspiel, saying... Nominees for the Kennerspiel des Jahres, the expert game, since it started in 2011, is five women and 52 men. No women this year, never more than one woman in a year. Nominees for the Kinderspiel, since it started in 2012... Eight women and 43 men. The only woman who was nominated for any STJ award this year out of nine games was in this category, Kinderspiel des Jahres. Zara Zarian for a game Carla Caramel. With accompanying bar charts, as for the Spiel to illustrate her point. Elizabeth goes on to make it clear this is not a criticism of the Spiel des Jahres, but of the whole structure around who tries to make games, pitches games, and who chooses games to get printed. The responses were predictable. Yaro, one of the founders of Phalanx, said, Maybe women design less, pitch less, and are generally less interested in games and gaming. Could this be a reason? For what it's worth, I had zero game submissions from women over the last 15 years. He wasn't the biggest name to put his oar in, though. 
Ryan Dancy, COO of Alderac Entertainment Group, or AEG, posted a bunch of tweets about how only 10% of the 1,000 pitches they've had since 2016 were from women, and only Mariposas by Elizabeth Hargrave got published. He goes on to explaining what was wrong with most of these pitches, and then starts to speculate about why they get so few pitches. At one point, he says this. I think there's a significant gap between when someone decides to try and become a game designer and when they produce their first publishable game. Life in that gap consists of a lot of rejection and negative criticism. I wonder if that gap accounts for a good part of the missing female design cohort. Females are socialized in the West to avoid situations where they're subjected to fairly harsh criticism of their abilities and creative ideas. Males are socialized to take the punches and keep moving forward. The response to this was predictable, with many calling out Ryan to do something about the situation and on the language he used. Elizabeth herself said, If you assume women can't hack it, you're biased against their pitches. Dancy replies to this, saying he thinks women can hack it, but Elizabeth says in reply, Really? Because above you appear to argue that the main reason that women aren't pitching you publishable games is that they aren't willing to weather the same amount of criticism that men do. On the 24th, Dancy put out an apology, saying, Yesterday I engaged in a discussion about the lack of representation of women as designers in the gaming community. It was not my finest moment. I'm embarrassed and mad at myself for the tone and content of my contribution to that discussion. It doesn't reflect my views, and it certainly doesn't reflect the views of the company I work for. He goes on to promise they will actively connect with designers from underrepresented groups, reach out to support groups who help folk pitch games, and actively pursue more diverse designers. He ends by saying, Check back with me in a year and hold me accountable. I'll provide updates as we make progress. Elizabeth posted some thoughts on Ryan's comments on the 25th of May on Twitter. I'll not read it all out, but she asked people not to use females, a particular term, to give up on the trope that women aren't interested in gaming, to take into account aspects of childcare when arranging gaming sessions, asks everyone to familiarise themselves with women that are publishing games, help out organisations that approach diversity, and most importantly, not to make Elizabeth and other women do this alone. Now. Here, here. Now. We are all white men on this cast. Indeed. I, yeah. outside, of, outside of impressions, I don't think <laughs> any of us regularly use the word females like no. we're a Ferengi in Star Trek. Females. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's only yeah, on stage. Just, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. I. <sighs> Elizabeth herself said that her the most shared sort of like gif or meme for, through all that conversation yeah. was basically a picture of Quark from Deep Space Nine with females. Yeah, it's just to stop it. I like we say but, that. Uh, sorry, as a thing, we always say that females. We always sound like Skeksis from The Dark Crystal. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Females. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's undeniable that there are barriers to women, and in fact, anyone who isn't cishet white male getting into tabletop game design, right? That, I mean, there's loads of data to support that. Tanya Pabuda has put out a bunch of data. I think she started in 2021, putting out different data about like designers she's like scraped bgg for that kind of information uh put out a lot of good information about that there's there's undeniable data that that is the case and also i'd like to call out ryan dancy on this one because you know the first step to accountability is definitely to leave your tweet up which as far as i can tell he has not done it's been taken down i went looking for it own your mistakes also check back in with me in a year and hold me accountable okay we will this, this is i am right okay i am now going to put a mark. I'm going to put a, a date on my calendar on my on my phone. 
hold right down to accountable. We are we are recording on the twenty sixth of May, twenty twenty three. I am scrolling for you know what I'm doing this in real time because I'm just doing it. Okay. So alert goes off on the twenty sixth of May, twenty twenty four. We'll yep. see how many updates we've seen. Reminder. So- remind me to see if Ryan Dancy is still accountable. <laughs> awesome. I mean, what what I found quite nice from Elizabeth, and that must have been a very difficult thing to say and decision to make. She was saying about, okay, I've worked with AG. I've never, yeah. well, I think she said she never worked with Ryan directly. Yeah. But, um, you know, she obviously got her game published and she thought, well, if I now no longer work with AG because of what Ryan said, is that the right decision? I think she basically said, well, I'm going to carry on working with AG because if women suddenly decide not to work for a publisher or with a company that has these sort of opinions or where people at least in, in higher positions have these opinions, um, then obviously even fewer women would be working in the industry with fewer publishers and just makes the situation worse. So her saying that I think was very brave of her to do and I, that was yeah. nice to see because I was having the same thoughts. I thought, well, do I want to review AEG games now that this has been said? Yeah, so yeah. difficult position, but nice to hear Elizabeth is really quite um, constructive in this situation, I think. And yeah. um, like we said, yeah, we have to do more to get women involved in the industry, do what we can. You know, I'm trying to promote female, sorry, using the word here, hopefully in the right way, women designers, um, and promoting their work and, yeah, basically making an extra effort where we can. Because, yeah, we have plenty of male designers, men yeah. designers, and we need more women. So, and obviously other groups as well. But this is what, what this specific discussion was about. And we'll be back um, We'll be back in a year's time to hold Ryan Dancy accountable, as yeah. I said to I, you. And I, I've just, uh, I've just put it in my phone. Right. Moving on now to the rest of the news. Forge Games Limited, the company behind Dark Souls RPG and Dark Souls board games, as well as the upcoming Elden Ring board game, recently reduced its workforce by around 20 employees. Steamforge Games provided Dicebreaker with the following statement. Steamforge Games can confirm a restructure of business operations was recently completed and that, as a result, some employees sadly had to leave the business by reason of redundancy. Steamforge Games will be making no further comment on this confidential and now completed process. Accounts filed on 31st of March 2023 at Company's House show that the company continued making losses in 2022. After reporting total negative equity, in other words, a loss of £2,907,183 in 2021, this figure increased to £4,225,316 in 2022. The accounts also show that forecasts for cash flow from multiple crowdfunding campaigns and a reduction in costs and overheads of £1,200,000 as well as other factors, support the company director's opinion that the company will be able to meet its financial obligations going forward. Shortly after this announcement, Steamforge released details on a new collaboration with Kickstarter. This partnership will allow for collaboration on content and means Steamforge will crowdfund exclusively through Kickstarter. This is the first time Kickstarter has engaged in this kind of partnership. Kickstarter's chief strategy officer, John Leland, said... This partnership with one of our biggest tabletop games publishers is a testament to the fact that Kickstarter could be part of an ongoing business model that works beyond initial success. Now, first off, we'd like to start by saying that the Brainwaves team hopes that everyone who's lost their job will find new employment and land on their feet. 
And this is obviously another crowdfunding company, another company that primarily makes their model through Kickstarter and, and that kind of thing, having cash flow problems, which means they're probably going to... There's new crowdfunding campaigns launching. They're, they just launched the Monster Hunter Iceborne Kickstarter, I think. And whether they're going to be able to keep their heads above water with that model, I don't know. The Kickstarter collaboration to me feels really weird. I can totally see the benefit of it to Kickstarter. Obviously, GameFound and BackerKit are kind of nipping at the heels of Kickstarter now in terms of the board game crowdfunding space. But I don't quite understand what Steamforge are going to get out of that. They're going to get pushed further further up the algorithm. Are they getting some sort of funding or maybe discount to Kickstarter services? Maybe I was, I was going to say Kickstarter does take a cut, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's it's all. There's two things here: the cash flow being the key, because yeah. it sounds like Steamforge is basically starting new Kickstarter campaigns to get money in to pay for previous Kickstarter campaigns, and maybe. you know. That, you know that's that's fine. The cash flow is a thing. The cash flow kills a company potentially, but that's obviously a dangerous place to be in if if that is actually the case. And yeah, the collaboration with Kickstarter can only assume that that saves them a huge chunk of money in reduced Kickstarter fees and and potentially yeah. other promotion and stuff like that. So that one point two million uh, you know reduction in costs and overheads that the uh, company is talking about is probably just all part of that model that they're trying to save costs wherever. But yeah, I'm just I the way I look at it and looking at the account, it just feels like they're using the next Kickstarter campaign to pay for the previous one almost, or in, at least in part, just to keep the cash coming in to keep the company afloat. And yeah, it doesn't look good. I'm going to do it for sure. Yeah, yeah, doesn't. Yeah, not another big Kickstarter company basically having issues with crowdfunding. So watch the space. We'll bring you more as we and when we hear it. But Oliver, let's move on to one of the larger companies in our hobby yes we're talking about more price hikes again getting more money in wizards of the coast who are the owner of magic the gathering dungeons and dragons and other studios as well as a subsidiary of hasbro inc announced on the 23rd of may 2023 that it will increase prices for upcoming books starting with the release of big b presents glory of the giants which comes out later this year the company announced plans to increase the MSRP of all future rulebooks to $59.95. RPG books will also be affected by the price changes. Additionally, the digital physical bundles will increase to $69.95, although Wizards of the Coast said that the bundle will have a discounted price of $59.95 for pre-orders. Uh, just very quickly, intruding in here, $59.95 in US dollars is £48.54 pence currently in UK sterling. Nice. The company also said that previously published books will be unaffected by price changes. The Wizard of the Coast Director of Product Management for D&D, Liz Shu, said in a press release that as materials, transportation, and other production costs have increased over the nine years since we released the fifth edition of D&D, we've kept the price of our books stable. Because we are committed to maintaining high standards and quality products for our fans, we have made the difficult decision to increase the price of our new release print books, starting with Glory of the Giants. We're able to maintain our digital pricing because the cost increases associated with print products does not impact digital products. Now, the price increase comes at a time when Wizards of the Coast reported a $77 million operating profit for the first quarter of 2023 and a total operating profit of over $500 million in 2022. 
The company is releasing several new RPG products every month from August to November this year, including one previously unannounced product, the Practically Complete Guide to Dragons, which is described as a field guide that includes updated lore and art about dragons. So what do we think? Again, with its increasing costs make sense? Is it about inflation? What's going on here? I mean, it's inevitable that prices of stuff go up. I mean, like in, in the industry I work in, in the bicycle industry, like we've seen prices increase two, three times over the last couple of years just as the uh, price of raw materials have gone up, the price of shipping has gone up, etc. I do think it's pretty. It's still pretty awful that wizards don't give you a free copy of the PDF whenever you buy the a book. There's a system called Bits and Mortar, which a lot of uh, smaller publishers like Evil Hat Productions, for instance, that do Blades in the Dark and various other sort of indie publishers uh, engage with, where you, if you buy a physical product in your local, fairly local game store, you get a free PDF. There seems to be no reason to me other than profiteering. I mean, obviously I know it's about profiteering, but there's no reason other than profiteering to not give you a free digital copy of like the DM's guide when you buy it. Ian, what you got to understand, it's all about profit. <laughs> and females. If you, don't, you, if you don't have the lobes for the profit. <laughs> That's the theme here. It's a terrible Ferengi. I'm sorry. I'm trying my best. <laughs> I am not Armin Shimmerman or Max Gordonchik or Aaron Eisenberg, RIP. Or indeed Jeffrey Combs. Talking about profits, Jamie? Yeah. Embracer Group, the Swedish company that owns a bunch of gaming studios, including Asmodee, reported their quarter four, January to March, financial earnings recently. Their earnings were below expectations, but still quite healthy on the tabletop gaming side of the company, as well as the comic side, which includes well-known company Dark Horse, publishers of such comics like Hellboy. Sales for the financial year were around $3.5 billion, with growth around 2%, and profits were $71.6 million for the quarter, $415 million for the year. Asmodee and Dark Horse both expressed positive outlooks for the next quarter and are looking at single-digit growth, mostly driven by the trading card game market, like Pokemon in Asmodee's case. In this case, Asmodee is the European distributor for the Pokemon trading card game. The market, being what it is though, punished Embracer for missing targets and stock dropped 45% on the announcement. It was also mentioned on the earnings call that a lot of this information comes from, that a strategic partnership had fallen through that had been negotiated for seven months. With which company? We don't know. But it has fallen through. They wouldn't say it was apparently worth something like $2 billion or something like that. Yes, I believe it, it was, was $2 billion. Some kind of major, major collaboration with another studio or something, but they won't say what it was. But yeah, Bracer looks pretty healthy. I mean, investors weren't happy, but are they ever? <laughs> Yeah, it's still a profit. I don't know what you're complaining about, but there we go. Yeah. Embracer Group. Not, it's, not it's, enough profit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not enough profit. They don't have the lobes. I'm not I'm not doing no, that's the not, voice that's again. Because it's terrible because it's I need to work on my Ferengi impression. Speaking Indeed. of making money, we need to look at jobs, opportunities, and events now, I think. Indeed. So uh, just a reminder that the Tabletop Jobs Facebook group exists. It's a very good place to go looking for jobs. Again, it is mostly US focused, but there is some UK stuff in there. Uh, one thing I came across on Twitter just in the last couple of days is that Rowan, Rook and Deckard are looking for a customer service assistant. They're an RPG publisher, the makers of Spire, Heart and Jason Statham's Big Adventure, amongst other single page RPGs. Uh, they're based in the UK. They're looking for a customer service assistant that is fully remote. 
part-time and starts at around eight to ten hours a week we'll put a link to the application in the show notes and obviously uk games expo is coming up that's coming up this week and oliver is going i'm very Yay. jealous um i am not going boo Neither am I. I'm still working uh, and going around north of Scotland. Yeah, I'll be representing the Brainwaves team. <laughs> o- yep. Oliver, you, you go as Tabletop Games blog, and if you feel like doing Brainwaves, go ahead. And I hope. Okay. So, what are you do? So, what are you doing? If anyone is going to UK Games Expo, what are you doing at UK Games Expo, and how can people find you? Well, I'll be demoing games on the Asmodee Get Into Board Games stand. I want to say it's one eight nine two, but check check things on our twitter so i'll be there during the day and in the evenings you'll probably find me at one of the open gaming tables playing games talking to people if That's not just yet message me before and if you want to make an appointment or something and i also try and do a bit of translation stuff but i probably shouldn't say that also think oliver's the person to speak to do you know what games you're demoing i'll be demoing seven wonders duel specifically unless i need to help out on one of the other tables so if you're interested in seven wonders duel which i love i've i've only recently learned i really enjoy it um yeah come over and i'll show you how to play it and yeah it's great copy I'm, i i love seven wonders duel wrote about it i've got the um I've got the Pantheon expansion, which I still need to try out. I haven't got to that. And also, if you, if you play yourself as a two-player game, if you play yourself, happily, I'll play with you. So, you know, whether there's two of you, one of you, come over. Or awesome. just say hello. And other people we'd like to say hello to are our lovely patrons. Thank you so much for continuing to support the site and cast, especially James Naylor and Sean Newman, our executive producers. And if you'd like to join them, you can join them for only $1 a month on our Patreon. We've also got a Ko-Fi these days as well, so you can join through that. Uh, there are various ways to support us on the site, uh, including some collaborations with Metallic Dice Games uh, for Lovely Dice and Sir Meeple for some merchandise. So do go and check those out. Jamie's back. Therefore, the Monopoly news is back. Yes. We shouldn't back. fight over that, though, shouldn't we? I mean, you know. I shouldn't fight over it. Come, Come on. on. I, I, I'm the mediator. Calm down. Calm down. Yeah, I'm, I'm, all right. All right. I, I, I don't do good impressions. I don't do good impressions. I'll throw you in the fighting ring down in the basement. Right. We're, okay. Before we do any of that, we're, Ian. Ian. What? Well, thank you. We're finally back. I'm back. And I've got more Monopoly news. Well, I, I say news. Um, it, well, Playing Monopoly, this might be a surprise to people, playing Monopoly can lead to some fallings out. Yet, yet YouGov, a UK-based... No. Yet, YouGov, a UK internet-based market research firm, and Monopoly Go developer Scopely decided to get some hard data on this question. Now, of course, this is only for the people who responded, so this is a thin slice of the populace, but it's still interesting information. In a poll of more than 2,100 Monopoly players... 30% of respondents admitted they had squabbled with family or friends as a result of the classic board game. Now, I'm going to cut in here and go 30% seems low. Interestingly, the survey, survey also found it was 25 to 34-year-olds that were the most incendiary age group among the squabblers, with 39% of the 25 to 34-year-olds butting heads. Now, it gets... Well, we go deeper. More than 25% of those aged 18 to 24 admit to stealing from their fellow players or from the bank. Like in the okay. game, or just generally, just, <laughs> just like using the monopoly as distraction to like nick a tenner out of their wallet. Yeah, yes, exactly. exactly. Amid, uh, amidst all this doom and gloom, there's one wee nice silver lining. Over half of all players prefer to help out their opponents rather than just watching them collapse into insolvency. So yeah. there is, you know, a nicety to a lot of monopoly players after all. So have you ever wondered what everyone's favourite playing piece, according to you, Gov? It is, no surprise, 
Oh, I'm being told it's not the iron. It's the Scotty Dog, with over a quarter of the vote going in favour of this component. The top hat in the racing car came in second and third, with roughly half as many votes. I mean, I said it's only over 2,100 players, but Monopoly does cause fights. We have the scientific proof, as if, you know, if you've never sat down and played it with various family members at a holiday time, it's... Yeah. I never realized you could help out other players. Are you allowed to not take rent and stuff? I like that? think I think that might be a way of people helping. It's like, oh, don't worry about it. Is oh, it another house rule? Is it one of the many house rules that people introduce? Oh, there is so many. <laughs> also, we knew that like we knew that there was fights going on because several years ago, I can't remember if I did it on this podcast or when Sam and I did a very short lived podcast that's still on YouTube called the Meeple People Podcast, where we started doing the Monopoly News. And we talked, about, yeah, we talked about a Monopoly helpline that was being set up over Christmas that was being run for a few days. And it was basically wow. there to answer, like, answer rules questions. People would be standing oh, by yeah. with the rule book. I think, I think we reported on that one, yeah. It's possible. It was, it was one or both or, or something. And there was also a list of the most common house rules that people had. And I think we looked up, and I remember, I don't think I recognized about three or four, but as we say, listen. I'm going to repeat it again, as I usually do. I am not a fan of Monopoly. I cannot speak for Ian and Oliver, but I'm not a fan of Monopoly. However, see if you love Monopoly. I mean, if you love Monopoly, brilliant. I am very glad. I'm so glad that you are getting enjoyment out of that board game and brings such a rush for you. There's no follow-up. No, no, but I'm very glad. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. If you like what you listen to, then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and rating on iTunes. Those shares really help us. If you see us promoting the cast on Twitter or Facebook or any of those channels, and you can give us a little share, that really, really helps us out with podcast discoverability. Uh, you can also follow Oliver at the tabletopgamesblog.com and do go and say hello to him at the UK Games Expo. Uh, there'll be an invite to our Discord where we've got a friendly and growing community. You're welcome along there. Our Twitter is at the Giant Brain. We're on Instagram as Giant Brain UK. Facebook, just the Giant Brain. Our main website is giantbrain.co.uk. And you can email us about anything in the show, any news you'd like us to cover, or any jobs, opportunities, events you'd like us to tell people about at giantbrainuk at gmail.com. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Bye for now. Goodbye. Hey.